welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, likewise. Uh, so I usually like to find out if we have common friends, and I already knew that you and I had common friends. We've actually met a couple times through uh, your guitar player, Luis, or former guitar player, I guess, Luis Maldonado. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 Luis was in a band called Big Elf that uh, I was A&R for for a while. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. He's out with uh, Foreigner now. That's right. That's right. That's what it was. I was trying to trying to piece that together. Um, but he was with you guys for a while, huh? Yeah, he was with us. He was with Train for five years, and he he played on my solo stuff and toured with us for, uh, I think, two years. Oh, killer. And his brother, Hector, has been with me for now like 15 years. Oh, that's right. I forgot Hector was also part of the part of the picture. That's amazing. Um, yeah, Hector's the best. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I, I, I think I was hanging with all you guys at the Pantages Theater, like maybe 2016 or something, like 2017. Oh, cool. Something like that. Well, you know, like, let's do it again. Yeah, we will. We will. Um, and then funny enough, uh, I was somewhere, I'm in Nashville at the moment, but I was recently sort of at a restaurant here and uh, I ran into Greg Latterman, who I hadn't seen oh, in cool. 20 years. Um, Greg's not living in Nashville, right? Is he still in Chicago? He is. Yeah. He was just visiting. Yeah, cool. So I, it was one of those just random bump ins. And yeah, fun. I, I remember, you know, you guys being on the uh, the aware compilations that used to show up in the mail. And that's how I found out about Train the first time. That's a long time ago. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> how it all got started because of Greg. Right. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, there was a band called Jupiter Coyote and a guy named Matt Mays. Uh, oh, cool. He was the lead singer and he ended up being the manager of my band. And so he introduced me to Greg all those years oh, ago. Cool. So it's weird full circle stuff. And uh, so I'll tell Greg, you said hi. I think I'm supposed to email him now. <laughs> yeah, cool. I love that. Yeah, right on. So um, it's actually a good segue. So how did, how did that actually happen? I was going to ask about the the beginnings of train but the the aware compilation is a common thread for a lot of artists uh and i know that that was greg's whole thing how did how did you guys get in contact with him or did he find you first well that's a good question actually he was he was brought in from an a&r guy that was trying to sign us to columbia records his name was uh tim divine and tim uh we we actually first before we knew Tim we were flown to New York to get a record deal with Columbia from San Francisco and we performed for Columbia and they passed and it was devastating and uh and and I don't know if it was because we were brought in from the promotion side it was a, a one of the promoting guys who maybe they were teaching him a lesson or you know being like hey stay out of this part of the world and Ooh. or if we just weren't special and so the the guy who was running the show then, his name was Donnie Einer, and he was like, I didn't see anything special. And that hurt. So we flew back to San Francisco, and uh, we had to figure out, you know, we're not a bunch of high school friends or anything, so we're just in a band. Cool. We had to figure out what our common goal is, because we didn't really talk about that ever. And the one goal uh, that we all had was that we all wanted to make an album. So we figured out how to do it. We borrowed $25,000 from friends and family and asked for a bunch of favors, and we made that first album. And that's when Tim Devine came into the picture, and he was like, look, Columbia already passed on you guys. Let's go a different route. And uh, there was Aware Records. So they came up with a, a – they, they then they brought – train in as project x they didn't want anybody to know the name of the band and uh because they'd already passed and so their plan together uh greg and tim's was let's bring this to them project x because now this record sounds like a 
you know, like a competitive album. Maybe we could do something with it. And then we'll put a couple songs on the compilation album, The Aware, and we'll see what happens. And all these young people were really loving uh, Meet Virginia. Yeah. So that gave us a little bit of uh, momentum. And when uh, the same guy, Donnie Einer, saw the name Train, he was like, this song actually sounds special. So he signed us the same guy that passed on us and it, it created a great relationship between me and Donnie and, and uh, I've considered him a friend for 20 years because of it. Wow. That's kind of crazy. It's a interesting story when somebody passes, they don't, I don't see or hear anything special. And then as soon as there's a reaction, sometimes they you're coming from the audience, they go, oh, okay, well maybe this is special. Um, but you know, but also he was listening to an album now, uh, and the album sounded different than any demos, and that that song had never been on any of the demos. So maybe he was, maybe as I was finding myself as a lyric writer, a songwriter, mm-hmm. he was watching it. You know, right, right. And there's more, there's more for the palette there at that point too. There's more to kind of hold on to. And, yeah, there um, was more to it. And how long had you guys been a band at this point? Just a couple of years. You know, it was probably three years, but it was it was hard work, man. I mean, I was a house painter in San Francisco, and so I'd work all day and drive home and try to clean all the lacquer off, <laughs> and then I would turn around and drive all the way back to San Francisco from North Bay and play any free show I could get my hands on, and it was brutal. Oh, God, and this is like, what, 94, 95? Uh, yeah, it was later than that. It was like 95, 6, and 7, then we made the record in 98. Or maybe it was like ninety six seven made the record in ninety eight. People finally heard it that year, and uh, yeah, I don't even remember. It's been maybe, maybe you were right with ninety four. Yeah, who knows? I, those it probably all just bunches up together after all this time. Um, yeah. yeah, but it's it's um, what you said's kind of on point though too. When you're starting a band, you don't think of it as a business, and a lot of times you don't sit around and talk about your common goals. So you're like, we're just going to go do this yeah. thing. We like having fun together. What are we trying to do with this? Um, yeah, what 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 do we want? Because we're not friends, you know what I mean? Like honestly, if we were going to break it down, and uh, we don't hang out, we get into a room a couple of times a, a week, and then we try to get a show. And uh, what what is our thread? And so that thread was that we all wanted to really badly make an album, and then from there, who who knows? Maybe it'll become something, or this cool. this will be the final thing we do. Right, right, right. I feel like a lot of early bands end up that way. But were you the were you the catalyst for Train? Were you a singer with with lyrics and melodies looking for a band, or was it something? Uh, I was that, but then I met a guy named Rob Hotchkiss, who uh, he, he so he was in the band uh, the Apostles with two other. Uh, original train members so that the four of us got together and then there was a drummer that one of the guys had met uh so he joined us and that was kind of how it started now uh, i'm with you know uh so it's always been me writing all the songs either all of them or at least all the melodies and and lyrics and as time went on, each guy, for some reason, has left or been asked to leave. And, uh, and so now I'm with, uh, this is a funny story. I, I, I came home from tour one time and I saw this young band. Uh, I was just alone getting all my gear and uh, I saw this young band all getting their bags and then they all got their bags and they were all going to go home and they said, okay, guys, see you. Love you. Oh, and I was like. That's some bullshit right there. That band's going to break up in two weeks. <laughs> <clears throat> but now I'm with a group of people that I love 
and we say i love you and so now i'm i got it after after that it made sense to me that loving the people you share the stage with is pretty important for for someone like me i know there's bands out there that thrive on the arguments and the disliking each other and they make great music because of it and then there's bands like oasis that we all wish would figure it out you know and i know black crows are back on tour so there's some figuring things out but i need uh a cohesiveness i i need like a positive thing going on yeah and it's hard to manufacture that i mean we can't all thrive on the chaos like like uh like the oasis does right. but um but i've been in several bands and i know what it's like to you can musically connect and they can see your vision to a degree and you can get along but the minute you're in a van or a bus together or a car and you're spending hours and hours together and you just don't have that friendship or that deeper connection meeting everything else starts to unravel or at least it did for me things just slowly start to unravel and you go this isn't going to work long term there's no way that in 20 years we're still doing this and it's so hard to find that connection it's like dating it really is like dating uh, mm-hmm. But also, I think uh, it takes time for, I mean, who am I, right? Or I had to find what I was looking for. I had to grow up myself too. A lot of, it takes a lot of maturity to learn how to be in a band too, because you, you, you're running a business, but you're also doing a spiritual sort of seance every sure. night. So it's a yeah, fine right. balance. Yeah. It is a fine balance. And, and when, you know, there's a dirty four letter word to me called brand that when people talk about brand, I lose interest right away, but it, it's an, it's a necessary part of all of it. And, and you do have to brand on some level, uh, because it can't just be the, the spiritual seance every night and that's it. You have to still count your merchandise money and make sure that you're putting good products out there and, and you're keeping people engaged and, and the world changes every 15 seconds. So. Mm, especially now, <laughs> now, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think you're in a really uh, unique position where you've, you've done this long enough where you probably don't have to iterate as much as an artist that's coming out, say from last year or this year, who's just now figuring out how this whole world works. There's no built-in fan base. And every two seconds, the industry's changing like their underwear. So if they're not chasing these trends, it's really hard to catch on. It's really difficult. Um, yeah, but some of these kids, you know, uh, I don't come from the internet where guys like uh, Maroon 5 and John Mayer, they did. They came slightly after Train, so they started in the world of internet, so they, they know how to work it, and they've done a really good job of it. Uh, so people born into the TikTok world are going to know it and adapt to it very quickly, uh, it's like learning a new language where a guy like me, like I didn't have a cell phone on my first tour. I told my 13-year-old daughter who's addicted to TikTok, like I didn't have a cell phone until I was like 28 years old. And she's like, how did you survive? Like I was in the wilderness for nine years, you know? <laughs> we used to open up, you know, the maps. We'd buy the maps at the gas station when we were yeah. on tour. And I, yeah, we would get uh, a, a Thomas Guides. Yeah, that's what it was. And then we would, book, I remember booking shows from payphones. Remember stopping and yeah. going, we need to advance the show before we drive seven hours to Raleigh and we get there and there's no, yeah. no show today. And I look back on that. I'm like, good God, now I can't get to the gas station without my GPS. I have no idea. Yeah. There, you know, a, a story that I, I haven't told many people is uh, on that first aware tour, uh, someone handed me a note backstage after the show and it basically said, your mom is really sick. You need to call her. So I had to walk out after oh. the show. Go down to a payphone and find out that my mother had breast or had uh, lung cancer, oh my and God. that's how impersonal those moments were. That's how I found out that my mother was going to die. 
is oh. through a payphone, you know, weeping out in the middle of some bullshit intersection mm. uh, while everybody was upstairs, you know, partying. Wow. It was, uh, you know, now you could FaceTime somebody and they could talk to you and there's so many other ways to go about it. So we, we have made improvements, even though the internet is heaven and hell, uh, <laughs> it's also made people closer. It has, it has in a lot of ways and it allows you to create across the ocean and stuff too. But, um, wow. Yeah, there's that. And then there's also, well, you know, the kids today who are, are born with a tablet in their hand, they don't know what it was like to also to build a fan base from just having to show up and play. Like if you didn't get in the van and go play, you weren't making a new fan or a hardcore fan. You know, they might hear the aware compilation record. They might hear you on AAA radio or college radio when they first hear the song, but there was no real deeper connection until you showed up to their town every six or eight weeks and beat it over the head. That's and, right. And if you didn't do that, there was nothing. I mean, I, I tell artists now, I'm like, you know, we had to go actually build those fans and now you can just do it with your thumbs. Right. You know, uh, and that's such a, and even, you know, about 10 years ago, there were some bands coming out with new records or artists like Neil Young or something. And, uh, I remember a radio guy said to me, this record isn't going to go anywhere because he's not willing to go play a barbecue. Like if, if you don't figure out how to adapt and like go do radio shows and get people to support you and want to play the album. And if you don't play whatever the game is during the era that you're trying to come up with work, then you're not going to make it. So you have to just figure out how to adapt to the current time. And it's hard to do. It is. It is. Well, uh, so getting back on some of that timeline stuff, because I think it's really interesting that, that uh, how you guys came about, because like you said, you were in that just pre-internet era. <laughs> And you guys bridged the gap. So once you guys had this record deal and you had, you know, your first couple songs out there under your belt and, and the record out there, what was the next, you know, what were the next steps? Were you guys going out and touring consistently? And did you have the usual suspects that you were your touring companions? Like, who were you out with? And, you know, what were you doing? We would go out with different people every time we'd go out. We oh. we worked so much that it was... Uh, unbearable i mean it was just we played every city you could think of uh and then finally got the opportunity to go to europe and asia and different parts of the world and uh that was a thrill but it was excruciatingly difficult like we went and toured with um shakira in south america nice and it wasn't just go do a tour with Shakira, but we had to go to radio stations every day, you know, multiple radio stations and travel in cars because there were no tour buses to get into. And so there was, it was the hardest tour I think I've ever done. Um, and, and that was just after Hey Soul Sister. So it, that was not that long ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When you go to some of those other countries, there's, there's, uh, the travel issue that pops up. You're like, okay, we have to get from place to place, but there's only four small cars we can all fit into. We all just take separate yep. cars and then you're jumping around and hitting all these yep. radio stations. Then you have the language barrier. You get there and you have yep. the people who are speaking your language half hard or, or vice versa. And you have translators yep. and, uh, and, and you also have the jet lag that's catching up with you. Plus you have the shows at night and you're just yep. buried. I mean, it's a, it, you know, it seems like fun on the outside, but it is brutal. You're talking, you know, 18 to 20 hour days a lot of times. And it's right. And, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but, yeah. uh, and, and I can't even complain about it because I live a great life and, uh, you, you have to be careful who you complain to things about, but especially since COVID, but, uh, but yeah, it was hard and it's still hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to figure out how to get people to care 
enough to engage, you know, and and, and it's, it's it's not ever going to be easy. I mean, some people, I suppose, have done, you know, have, have had so many hits that they just can sit back and cruise now, but uh, I'm not in that league. Yeah, but you have had a lot of hits, to be fair. And it's it's really impressive. We've had we've had some good songs out there, yeah. but it's still, you know, to try to continue to be relevant is still yeah. the goal. You know, it's still, and now uh, I'm competing with, you know, Justin Bieber and, uh, and uh, who, who else do I love? Justin Bieber songs, who's ever writing those songs is just so good. Yeah. But uh, Post Malone, that guy's nuts, man. I love that song. What is that song that he does with Doja Cat? Oh gosh! Uh, uh, I know the song. I'm blanking it's on the name. Amazing! It's some of the best music ever. Yeah. Um. What is that song called? Anyway, it's amazing. And uh, but that's who I'm competing with musically, and that's uh, that's hard. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure that um, those people you just mentioned have heard your songs and look up to you in a lot of ways. Especially a guy like Post Malone. He is a music lover. I mean, that guy, he just... Yeah, he's cool, man. He seems like a cool guy. I'd like to know him. He gets it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great dude. Um, So was there ever a time where you guys weren't on the road? Would you ever take an extended break, except for the obvious past few years here? Yeah, we took a break after our fourth record. We made a record called For Me, It's You, and it tanked hard. And we were lost really lost and so we uh i went and made a solo record and we took some years off and when i got the band back together it was for the hey soul sister part and we made some changes to our managers and uh, bandmates and uh it was you know a very difficult time so the fact that hey soul sister uh, just hit a billion streams on Spotify is, is if you would have known me back in 2008, you'd be like, you're probably going to go bankrupt and figure out how to, you got to learn how to bag groceries or something. Cause Whoa. this is over. Wow. That's how dark that was dark. Wow. And that's the thing. A lot of people don't realize almost every artist I've ever talked to or that I'm friends with has a, a similar story. I was talking to Linda Perry and Linda, you know, was saying, Oh yeah, I remember basically waking up one day and, being homeless, living out of some, you know, rehearsal space kind of thing, sleeping on the floor, doing drugs. And I'd had multiple hits under my belt and I had nothing to show for it. Absolutely nothing. And she said that he found out that there was some, somebody had sent her some song, like a CD, she said, CD or tape of some artist named Pink and said, you know, you should write for this girl. And Linda said, I'm not doing anything. I'm basically homeless and broke. And she she Mm. said, she, she just heard a melody in her head and recorded, um, I'm coming up, you know, you better get this party started and just had that line and sent it back to whoever with absolutely nothing to wow. other than this melody she heard. I didn't about. know that story. And I, and I know Linda, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. She told me that story and she said, and it changed her life. Just that one mm. melody that came to her. And she's like, and then it would, you know, kind of started back up from there. But yeah, I, I feel like it's just, it's, it's, you know, like it's one thing, like you said, to have hits, it's another to stay relevant and to keep doing it. Um, and, and, you know, that's the other question I was going to ask you. Like a lot of my audience, of course, is, is, is artists, but it's also managers and stuff like that. What's, what's your experience or at least your insight on what it's like to have a record deal and then, you know, have you lost some and got new ones and what's your experience with the label? And you don't have to speak, you know, explicitly about anybody or names, but you know, what, what's, what's your insight on working with labels after all these years? 
I've only had one record label. It's been Columbia Records, and this is our 11th record with them. And, you know, I think our expectations of one another are really adult. Uh, there's a great guy named Ron who runs Columbia Records. He's very smart. You know, he's a, a younger guy who gets the new world of music. And he he never, you know, he's always like, never count Monaghan out. And And that's really... I was just on a podcast about golf and, and, you know, you watch these golfers and you can't count a guy out. Like whenever you, he, you know, he hasn't made a cut in, you know, nine years or whatever. Like, I don't care. Today might be his day. And, yeah. and I think Ron understands that. And I think the previous people that were there in that seat before him understood that as well. Like, uh, I'm not in the biggest band in the world, but you never know. I, I, I could have a, a, a big moment and they, uh, they've all believed in me and uh, I don't give them any reason not to. I work hard yeah. and, uh, and, st- and try to stay competitive. But I also, you know, we have a very strong fan base. Like train fans are like family. We do a cruise every other year and uh, we connect and stay close and, and we care about one another. It's a, it's a cool relationship. Man, that's a testament to you, man. You definitely work your ass off, but uh, testament to Columbia, I guess, as well. You know, I mean, I believe that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, you rarely hear that story, right? This like, yeah, we've been along the, the, the journey together the whole way. I mean, um, and I'm sure that's with a revolving cast of characters and for it to stay together is, is really impressive, really impressive. Yeah, it is cool. There, there are a few people there that were there when we started, but when I say few, I mean like three. Right. And there's a big staff, you know, Columbia Records is a big business. Right, right. Wow. That's impressive. And then you do the, you said the cruise is that that's with six man, right? Because that's with six man. Yeah. It's called sail across the sun. Yep. Uh, I think we just announced a save the date. So we'll go out uh, next February during President's Day weekend uh, for like a four day thing. And we have, I think, almost all of the, the band and uh, the, the comedy lined up and we're almost ready to go. Oh, killer. Oh, there's comedians on. That's amazing. You, uh, who are you having on from the comedy side? Just curious. We're going to have uh, Nick Swartzen. He's the best. Who, <laughs> He's if the you've best. never seen his live stand-up, it is <laughs> unbelievably funny. He's got this, uh, this old-school Comedy Central bit, but he had this bit about, at my funeral, I, I want my mom to believe that I'm in a closed casket, and I want my whole family to be there. And then as my mom and my family are crying, instead, I want my body to come down on wires and swing across the crowd. And then I want strobe lights and disco music while my mom goes, what the fuck? <laughs> That sounds like that sounds if you, if you've ever had a conversation with Nick, it sounds like what's in his brain. Yeah. Like that is really in his head. You know, he's he's super talented. I like him a lot. Oh man, yeah, he seems like such a fun guy to hang with too. Um, he really is. Um, that's awesome. So you guys have your eleventh studio record coming up in the first one in five years. Is that right? Yep, it would have been earlier, but I think I'm glad that it's not. Uh, just because I was writing with a bunch of like you know pro writers in LA and uh, and I liked what I was writing, but then I started writing virtually with my bandmates and uh, the songs that I was writing with the pros were missing one thing and that was me, like yeah. my authentic self, and uh, and now that's that's part of this album in in every song. Mm-hmm. I, you. And I'm sure you know this, but I think in my estimation, as just being a music fan, something that's always stood out about Train or the, the, the songs you've written that end up connecting is lyrically, you have a really unique way of putting words together and you find themes that nobody else is thinking about. You just, 
you really understand the craft and you also understand being yourself um, and coming at it from a different, a different place. And that is really, really hard to find. I mean, there's, there's a million great, it's hard to, it's hard to do, but it's a goal. Mm -hmm. Like I, I always set out like how many times, you know, we made a Hallmark movie. It's called uh, Christmas in Tahoe. Yep. How many Hallmark movies do you need to watch, right? So you have to figure out what you're going to say differently in a Hallmark movie to make somebody watch that one instead of the other one because the results are pretty much the same. No offense to Hallmark because I love Hallmark movies. And it's a happy ending and it's everything's going to work out. And that's their motto and kind of the way they run their thing. Mm -hmm. How can I say something to you in a song in an original way after all these years and after all the music that's been made with melody and rhyme schemes and whatever else you could think of. And it's very difficult. And if I, you know, if I hear the song, a song called home again, I mean, how many times can you call a song home? <laughs> like that's the part of being a songwriter. Like I learned from Johnny Mercer who wrote uh, moon river you know, like for him to say, my huckleberry friend, like of all the things he could have said, he used that. And he's the only one that's ever in a song said Aurora Borealis instead of, you know, the Northern Lights. And like, that's what I want to do. I want to be that guy instead of, uh, I don't want to say home. I want to say a place, you know, that I, whatever the, the, the poem would be that would describe home in a better way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the first time I heard drops of Jupiter, I thought I could never in a million years have dreamed this up. And, and, and especially the way you're tying in cosmic themes, you're talking about beautiful cosmic things. And then in the same breath, you'll say something that's completely relatable and, and earthbound tied to the same right. thing in that song. And who does that? I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful stuff. And it, it also, Thanks. yeah, it also just gets you to think, gets you to think. And I, I had a uh, Neil Finn on the podcast. who's one of my favorite songwriters on planet earth. And sure. Same thing. He's everybody's. Oh yeah. <laughs> that guy. I mean, you know, even a song like don't dream it's over. Who, who would have thought yeah. to say that just that yeah. simple thing, but it, it, it's just so beautiful. But um, yeah, I mean, I, look, just as a, as a fan, I think that's why you've, you've made it this far. I mean, of course, hard work is, a testament, Thanks. of course, but I, I think you do something really special and unique, and I'm glad you're still doing it. Oh, cool. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you're going out on the road, finally, after this whole COVID break. Yeah, we had 25 shows last year. We did, uh, you know, like 5,000-seat uh, little outside theaters, and they were really fun. We had a great time. And... We really got a sense of how important live music is to not just us musicians, but to people, you know, sitting in seats and standing by, you know, the stage. And this, I hope, is a, a, a further extension of how beautiful last summer was. And we're out with Jewel and Blues Traveler, who are friends from uh, long ago. And yep. I sing a song on Jewel's record called Dancing Slow. She sings a song on our record called uh, Turn the Radio Up. And... There'll be authentic camaraderie for three months, and we're going to have the best time. Oh, that's amazing. I'm definitely going to come out to at least one of those shows. Yeah, cool. I love that. Yeah, 100%. Um, well, thank you for joining me. I won't take up any more of your time. but Cool. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's been nice seeing you again, and good luck out on the road, and hope the record goes well. Everybody take, take a listen to it. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yep. Well, uh, hope, to, hope to see you at these, these shows, Edge. You got it. We'll be in contact. Okay. See ya. See ya.